John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'm going to read the entire portion. This, this particular literary unit runs into the 40th verse. And so we're going to read that. I'm not going to get there nearly today. But, uh, but we're going to read it all so we get the, the, that immediate context of what's going on here as Jesus begins exercising his, his lordship over nature. Follow God's inerrant, infallible word. Listen, without God's word, here's the best you can do. Guess. Nobody likes to just guess. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and Take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they went themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Father, we thank you for that truth. Thank you for the reality of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you might grant us faith to believe in him so that we too may enjoy this living bread forever and on that last day be raised up with him. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How often uh, do you hear, uh, whatever your source of weather is, uh, if it has a a voice attached to it, the weather channel or the local meteorologist, whether it's on the radio or the television, doesn't matter. How often do you hear them say things like, well, Mother Nature is at it again. Or... I can imagine this morning one of them saying something stupid like, Mother Nature is really being kind to us today, isn't she? Or, if it's a stormy day, well, Mother Nature's at it again. It's going to be a rough one. 
I hope that everyone in this room is Christian enough to be repulsed when you hear that. Because you should be, just like I am. Because there is no such thing as Mother Nature. There is only Father God. There is only God of creation. The God who sustains all things. It was not Mother Nature that threw the storm on the sea when Jonah got in trouble. It was not Mother Nature that calmed the sea when the disciples were in trouble and Jesus said, peace, be still. It was God. When the hurricanes hit, it's not Mother Nature. When the tornadoes hit, it's not Mother Nature. And unless you give God credit, then you're cheating God. This passage, we have seen already, Jesus is the Lord of nature, or the Lord of of the Sabbath, rather. And then we saw that he's the Lord of judgment. And now he's the Lord of nature. And we've got these two miracles here in Galilee that reveal this to us again. First one is the feeding. The second is the walking on water. Outside of Bear Bryant in Alabama folklore, no one other than Jesus has ever walked on the water. One is reality, one is folklore. Some of you aren't old enough to know what I'm talking about. But it's a vital part of American history. Mr. Center includes that in his lectures, I'm sure. Some of you don't look like you believe that Jesus actually walked on the water. If so, then you can't believe that he saves you from your sins. So don't sit here and claim to be a Christian and not believe that he does these miracles. Because a Jesus who can't walk on the water also cannot save you. They can't be separated. Jesus controls nature to his pleasure and according to his design. I'm just going to look at the first point that you've got on the outline there. Jesus controls nature to meet needs and prove his deity. Jesus went away. After this, what's after this? Well, after this is referring back, of course, in John's Writing, it's referring back to what's just taken place. And what's just taken place is that he has explained to them how he is the Lord of judgment, that he is the one who will judge all things, and that he and the Father are of one mind about this. It concluded. With verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my writings? We just read one of those writings. As Moses recorded the event of the Exodus and particularly the, the 
the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the, on the sick. He went up on a mountain and he sat down with his disciples. Now again, we're given the time context. The Passover, the Feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, he sees that a large crowd was coming towards him. And he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And we're told that he's simply testing Philip to see what Philip's going to say. And Philip says, we couldn't even give them a little, a little bitty crumb of bread for 200 denarii. Because there's 5,000 5, men plus women and children. Somebody in the group had paid attention and, uh, and saw, as Andrew had seen, that there was a boy who was there. And this little boy was, uh, was ready. Boys usually are hungry. Right? And so he had his barley loaves. And don't think of big old bread loaves. Think of the, the nice little small ones, the little personal size ones. He had him some of those and he had him some fish. And he was ready whenever he got hungry, he was going to eat. So they mentioned this. Now this is one of two times that the Lord does this miraculous thing of feeding multitudes. Here... We have 5,000 men, as I said, plus the women and the children. And you've got these loaves. Five. And fish, two. Now, in the other account, at the other instance of him doing this, you had seven loaves and a few fish. In Mark chapter 8. And you're feeding fewer people. There in Mark 8 we learn that the numbers on that occasion. Were a total. Not the men. But a total. Of 4,000. So don't be confused and think. Well the Bible's you know it says 5,000 men here and 4,000 over here. You know. Because that's what the poor liberals who. Who who can't think do and and they look at it and say oh see the bible contradicts itself here no it's two different occasions two different numbers two different resources not a problem whatsoever if jesus could do it one time he could do it twice he could do it as many times as he wanted to right he's the lord over nature he can multiply bread. And so he does. He exhibits his deity. But he also does something else here. 
that's really interesting. He confirms in doing this, and it, it doesn't. It on on first blush, it doesn't seem connected, but once you read on, and that's the reason we read on, it's very connected. But what what happens here? And it's obvious, by the way, it's obvious to the people who are there. Now, some of you have already decided, well, would you please go on and tell us what it is? Others of you have said, yeah, I know what it is. I noticed it when you read it the first time. Stupid. Chapter 5, and remember the chapter breaks are artificial. God didn't put those there. Men did just to try to help, help us organize things. So we could do our daily Bible readings a little more easily. The end of chapter 5 ended with Moses. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And then what's the first thing Jesus does when he leaves the crowd at the Sea of Tiberias? It says that he went up on a mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. So John's doing something here. He's teaching us. Well, obviously, you say. That's obvious. He's teaching us. But he's teaching us something. He's teaching us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 17 and 18. If you go back there and read Deuteronomy 17 and 18, Moses is set forth. And then we're told that there is one who is going to come after Moses who is the greater Moses, who will do greater things than Moses did. You say, well, I would have never made that connection. Sure you would. If you'd have read on down, verse 14, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. That's a quote. If you look it up in your marginalia, that's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 18. You say, wow, those people must have been smart. Those people read their Bible. That's, that's a bit of a finger pointing at us, isn't it? If it didn't strike us immediately as we read it, then the problem is we don't read our Bibles. And that should be convicting and that should can be a convincing note that we need to we need to spend more time in God's word every day see they recognize the connection here he's doing a great miracle and it has something to do with bread and then Jesus is going to go on and talk about bread that he's the bread of life we'll get to that later but for now, it's enough for us to just jump over there a moment and think about it. He's talking about bread. And then he says, I'm, I'm, and they say, Moses gave bread. He's talking about the manna, right? And Jesus says, yeah, but that manna, that was really about me. I'm the real bread. I'm the living bread. I'm the bread that will be with you always. The manna, remember, the manna was temporary. The manna was one day at a time. And if you got greedy and you tried to keep it, what happened to it, kiddos? It stank, didn't it? It rotted. It got, it, it, 
Some of you children have done this for your mom or maybe your dad. Go wherever you keep the potatoes. Go. Bring me two or three potatoes. Or if it's a large family, bring me 10 or 20 potatoes. And you kids have all had this experience because I did as a child. I have as an adult when my wife says, hey, reach down there and hand me a potato. And you open that door. And oh, or maybe you don't smell it first. You feel it first when you reach in that dark hole and you grab that rotting potato. There's hardly anything that smells worse than except maybe a rotten egg. Right? Well, that didn't happen overnight with the potato. That didn't happen overnight with the egg. But with the manna, it happened overnight. And why? If you lay bread out, it won't go bad overnight. What made their bread go bad overnight? Because God said it would. God told him, you get enough for one day, except when on Friday, because preparing for the Sabbath and so that you don't labor on the Sabbath, you can collect enough for the Old Testament Sabbath was on Saturday, you know, so collect enough for Friday and Saturday. And it'll stay good. Well, why did that stay good when the other days, because God said it would. Because God was controlling it. He's the God of nature. There's a big, 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 big lesson in this from John for us. Theology is important. And everything about our life needs to revolve around a God who's involved in it. God's not out there somewhere. Well, he is. He's transcendent. But he's also eminent. He is God with us. By the way, there's only one God that can be transcendent and eminent. Did you know that? It's the God of Christianity. It's the God of the Bible. The God of Islam can't be. By his very nature and definition, Allah cannot be both transcendent and eminent. Only the God of the Bible. Because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus takes these loaves and he broke these loaves and he distributed them to those who were seated and the fish also. I had some good fish yesterday. I bet that was better on that day than mine yesterday. It's hard to imagine, but I'm sure it was because Jesus did it. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And listen, here's a lesson that you ought not to miss in all this. 
Sometimes we just read over things like this. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Many of you in this room know that I grew up Baptist, that I attended two Southern Baptist theological seminaries. And the president of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Gray Allison, who's with the Lord now, every year at Founders Days would tell the story. He would tell the story about the founding of the seminary, what the what the 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 impetus for it was, and then the nuts and bolts, and he delighted in telling this story. And on this particular occasion when they were buying this property in Memphis, Tennessee. They had this amount of money they had to raise by this date or the deal was off and the Jewish synagogue and school was going to sell the property to someone else. But they were going to give these, these, these Baptists a shot at it first. I think they thought they couldn't raise the money. So Dr. Allison went, went, went into full gear and he was out on the path. He was beating people's doors and calling and raising funds. And he loved to tell the story of when they, when they got to the bank in Little Rock, Arkansas. Don't ask me why Little Rock instead of Memphis. And he got to that bank and there were no parking places and it was raining. And he asked Miss Von Seal, his sweet wife, to drop him off and just circle the building till I come back out with the money. He said he went, they went to the closing, they sat down, and he gave them all the checks that he had, and when they tallied them up, they had one dollar too much, or I should say one dollar more than they needed. And then Dr. Gray would always pause at that point in the chapel at Mid-America, and he'd lean up on the pulpit, and he had this little habit of rubbing his cheek like this. And he rubbed his little cheek and he said, isn't that just like God to give you more than you need? One dollar in his case on that day. And that's what he did here. Listen, folks, our Lord Jesus will always give you more than you need. Sometimes he even gives you more than you want. But he'll always take care of his people. David, the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous hunger or begging for bread. That's a remarkable thought, that our God takes care of his people. You say, well, I've known people who were, well, they may have not been God's people. Did you ever think about that? The Bible says otherwise. Jesus Jesus says so much in Matthew, doesn't he? That our Father in heaven knows what we need and he gives it to us. In his time. Listen to what Calvin says. Christ plainly showed that he not only bestows spiritual life on the world, but that his Father commanded him also to nourish the body. For abundance of all blessings 
is committed to his hand, that as a channel he may convey them to us. Though, Calvin says, I speak incorrectly by calling him a channel, for he is rather the living fountain flowing from the eternal Father. The Father has given the Son to take care of our needs and not just our spiritual needs. And that's, one, by the way, one of the reasons why he gave the church not only elders to take care of the spiritual needs of the church, but he gave the church deacons to help take care of the physical needs of the church. Only churches that have biblical elders and biblical deacons can pro- portray to the world a biblical Jesus. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us elders and deacons. He'd have done it some other way. Calvin goes on to say this. Though he does not today satisfy 5,000 men with five loaves, still he does cease to feed the whole world. He does not cease to feed the whole world in a wonderful manner. It sounds to us, no doubt, like a paradox that man lives not by bread alone, but by the word which proceed out of the mouth of God. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of our sovereign God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's the Lord over nature. See, that's why we pray when we eat in private and in public and we give thanks to him. For all that he's given us. Because he's the one who gave it to us. That's why when we give good gifts to other people. We let them know that I'm doing this. Because the love of Christ constrains me to do this. And we never ever take the credit for it. But we give him the credit for it. Parents, when you're. When you have people say things like this to you, your children are so well behaved. Don't say thank you. Say praise God. He gave us a book that told us how to do it, and we've just been trying to do the best we can. God's the one who did it. See, there's a way every occasion to give him the credit. He's the Lord of it all. One final little point here. Jesus does everything decently and orderly. Did you notice that? Just like Moses. Moses, God instructed Moses to have the people sit in numbers, numbered groups so that they could care for them. And Jesus does the same Moses thing right here. He says, tell them to sit down. And they did. In the other account, we're told that they sat down in fifties and hundreds. Decently and orderly. Is it any wonder then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 closes that chapter by telling us to do all things decently and orderly. Presbyterians get wrapped on the knuckles for being so orderly in the way they do things. We're just following our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and what he has commanded us. We have a God who doesn't act chaotically. We have a God who doesn't act inconsiderately. We have a God who's not concerned about the needs of people. We have a Lord who cares and meets the needs of his people, wherever they are. And it doesn't matter what their, what their means are. You hear this one often. I started with silly. I'll end with silly. If you didn't catch it, the first silly was mother, you know, mother nature. Here's another silly. God helps those who help themselves. Aren't you glad that's not true? Aren't you glad that God helps those who cannot help themselves? These people came unprepared. Jesus could have given them a good lesson on being prepared. Right? Some of you parents right now are saying, yeah, well, I've lectured my kids on that before. Well, there's a time for that. But this was not the time for it in Jesus' mind. This was a time for him to exercise his lordship over nature and to to suspend the natural laws of man and turn those few pieces into a whole bunch with leftovers. That's who our Lord Jesus is. Now we're back to the question that he asked, if you do not believe Moses, how will you believe me? So do you believe Jesus? And do you believe in this Jesus, not just the Jesus of popular myth. Father, thank you so much. We ask now that you bless our time now around the table and the eating of the bread and the drinking from your cup. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.